0: episode three of trading card therapy i'm your host the doctor is in leighton sheldon owner and founder of just collect and vintage breaks thank you for joining us today august 31st right after today's show you can tune in and watch live breaking all day on our youtube channel at youtube.com slash vintage breaks and if you'd like to watch today's show back with the video, you can do that on our Just Collect YouTube channel at youtube.com slash just collect. So what a week of hobby news, mayhem, and everything in between. Auctions are ending, deals are happening, investments are transpiring in real time, and innovation is certainly here to stay. Hopefully you're going to enjoy today's show. It's going to be action-packed. We're going to get right to it. As I mentioned in the first few episodes uh, of Trading Card Therapy, we are going to try to cover as much as we can within about a 30-minute time frame every Tuesday at 1230 Eastern Time right here. So thanks for joining us. I've also asked if you'd like to hear me discuss a certain hobby or industry-related topic to please hit me up via email directly at leighton at justcollect.com, L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, at justcollect.com. So this week's first topic is going to come from someone who emailed me from New Jersey. His name is Mike, and I've known him for several years. He is definitely a hobbyist, not someone who does it full-time, absolutely more of a collector, but, you know, does try to, if you will, buy and sell and, and build his collection in that way, like many of us do, you know, in that hybrid role as collector, dealer, investor. And so he asked me, after going to several localist shows, he did not go to the National, what my thoughts were on the vintage card market as it relates and compares to the modern card market. Being that in his estimation and what he saw with his own two eyes was these small conventions he was going to locally in the tri-state area where many of the modern card booths and tables were very, very busy with action and the vintage tables, not so much. So he asked me, is it an alarming trend that I'm seeing? What are my thoughts on the long-term viability of the vintage market, his concerns? And I've heard this before. Hey, you know, he's in his early forties. Some of my friends are in their early forties. A lot of collectors that have been collecting vintage baseball have been doing so for for decades and are, are in their fifties and sixties, maybe or even more. What does that mean for the future of the vintage card market and the fact that all these record breaking, or it seems like many of these record breaking sales—LeBron for two million, Luca for four million. Yes, the Wagner did sell for six, but that was you know one of the cases, of course, of vintage, and so. That was a great question that Mike and I'm sure many in the community would like to know about and hear about, especially for those of you who are not you know deep in the hobby like myself and some of you folks who are listening today. in terms of you know this big push on modern versus you know vintage and seeing activity, let's remember first that when you're at a convention, even if it's as big as the national, you're still seeing a snippet of what's going on in the you know overall you know marketplace. And so especially when you're at let's say localist shows, Maybe a show doesn't have a lot of vintage dealers, or even if it does, if you still see or, or feel that the activity is trending towards modern, you know, what's going to happen in the future is a great question. And so I kind of take the approach of, hey, when I got into cards at first, you know, what did I collect? And the reason why I didn't collect vintage was really just lack of education, not knowing that you could actually have a Babe Ruth card in your hands. That you didn't have to give back at the end of the day at the museum, or they call the police on you. So once I figured that out, uh, certainly you know, vintage had a had a, had a place in my heart. But I realized for a lot of youngsters, per Mike's point, you know, what if they never learn about Ty Cobb? What if they never learn about Babe Ruth? Or they never learn about Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul Jabbar? And so my feeling is this: if you take, for example, oh I don't know, collecting art, generally, unless you're someone who is uber wealthy you don't start off collecting art and go after a Rembrandt or a Picasso or the Mona Lisa or a Banksy or a Warhol, right? You go after what's in front of you and what you can afford. But as you begin to both educate yourself, develop a passion and learn more about that particular niche, chances are even if you can't afford it, you're going to covet the best because that's human nature. Now, not all of us but many of us, when we get into a particular niche, we dream of owning that holy grail. And so, my feeling is for let's say you know this younger generation. You're right, Mike. I don't know that every single kid is going to want to buy a Hank Aaron rookie or a Babe Ruth card or a Tito Six Tobacco card of Ty Cobb. However, what I can assure you is through education, those will be the first greatest ballplayers of all time. Forever, as long as baseball history is around. And so much like in the art world, you do not start off even, forget about coveting, knowing anything about Picasso, Rembrandt, or Warhol, you eventually figure that out, even if it's not through art history, just through, um, you know, being an aficionado of the space, you eventually figure out who those artists were, what they mean to the space, and if you have a dream, holy grail, you know, piece, uh, what are you going to be going after in the long term? And so I feel like that is very analogous to what's going on in the sports card space. I'm seeing a lot of kids, which I think is amazing, that are 12, 15, 20, 25 years old, whether it be they're making content in the space and or they're collecting and or they're flipping their way to bigger and better cards, they're largely doing so on modern. And so there is no right or wrong. I do feel that vintage will be coveted and looked at as those Rembrandts, and those Mona Lisas, right? And those Warhols and Picassos of the time period in future generations, maybe not by everyone. But I did want to talk about the difference between vintage and modern, and then talk about modern cards specifically uh, for just a few minutes. So by and large, vintage cards are very valuable, of course, because there's demand, but there's real manufactured scarcity is not taking place with vintage. It's only taking place with modern, meaning with vintage cards, they produced a lot of them. People still want them because they remember collecting them as kids. And then as they got older, to go out and try to buy them from a population of cards that's a lot less when they first started, to buy them top shape is not the easiest thing to do. So in terms of the vintage market, you're really talking about sincere scarcity. You know, cards that uh, even like the 52 Tops high number series, you know, they were supposedly dumped in and around bodies of water surrounding uh, New York. Who knows what is true from Tops and what isn't? But what we do know today is that 1952 Tops high number cards, every card for number 311 um, and higher in that series, is a little bit more difficult to find than everything else from the low to mid series. But no matter what, those cards aren't numbered. And of the ones that are left, you can reference the pop report at psacard.com to see how many have been graded by a third party, such as PSA. You can figure out in that pop report how many have been really nice, meaning that are 8, 9, or 10 versus that 1, 2, or 3 at the lower end of the scale and certainly everything in between. And I feel that the big difference between vintage and modern is that modern, there is this manufactured scarcity. And so when you go out and you want to try to collect Luca, Uh, I do find it overwhelming, even as someone who's very well-educated in the card-collecting space, I'm talking to buddies of mine like Chris and Drew, or in the office to Sam and J5, and saying, hey guys, you know, I have a few thousand bucks to spend, what Luca should I buy? And so this is what I wanted to talk about on today's show, as we shift away from my opinion on the vintage versus modern market, and so, once again, to kind of recap that, I don't think vintage is going anywhere, no matter how many um, kids... Come into the market, ultimately, if they grow and stay in the space, people are going to appreciate the best. And if they only appreciate the best being that limited LeBron James card, then we're not doing our job as a hobby to educate folks and collectors alike about the wonderful world of vintage cards and what's out there. Because you know as well as I do that chances are, if you're a card collector, that you like sports and you know that. Sports have existed for well before the generation of the LeBron James of the world or the Mike Trouts of the world. So it's fun to not only read about, learn about the history of the games, respectively, but how do you appreciate them? And then all of a sudden, when you start reading about what it was like to live in the early 1900s and experience life as an American and playing baseball as Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb. You know, it's just fascinating. That's my feeling on vintage cards. But... Shifting gears here and moving towards the modern market, which I know many of my constituents, my friends, fellow break maniacs from the vintage brakes community, right, feel a little bit overwhelmed about the modern car community and how if you want to spend a hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks or even more, let's just say Luca's your guy or Giannis is your guy, you know, what do you do? Where do you spend your money? So first thing I wanted to say is Collect what you love. And so if there is no budget in mind and you don't have to worry about financial constraints, which is awesome, then just buy exactly the card that really hits it for you in your heart and in your mind and then, of course, in your wallet because you can afford it, okay? So when it comes to someone like myself who has a little bit more experience in the space and I want to try to buy a Luka Doncic rookie for the quote-unquote long term, and by the way, I'm not going to choose any card here. You're going to see where I'm going with this conversation, I have heard it all, and Sam's in the office, he collects modern basketball with me, it'd be great to get Sam's take on it in just a minute, but my feeling is, when you're going out and you're trying to buy, let's say, a Luca card for a few hundred bucks, and you want to buy a rookie, there's nothing wrong with, you know, buying quote-unquote a base rookie, because that's, that's, that's all there was in vintage cards, were these base cards, and so all these parallels and numbered versions, numbered copies, they're coming from let's say the brainchild of either one or several people at Panini or in the case of the other sports, you know, upper deck and tops uh, and the future potentially fanatics, of course. So in terms of how do you figure out which one is for you? Oh, to me, I think the choice is very simple, but it's part of the fun of, of investigating what you can get for your money. So the first thing is you figure out your budget. Okay. Then, After you figure out your budget for this wonderful Luca card you're thinking about adding to your collection, understand that unless you're buying the Panini National Treasures RPA Rookie, the one that everyone really covets and wants, you're really kind of picking between dozens of options that can be numbered, or they're the Hyper Pink this, or the Disco Prism that, and so what I'm saying is it's about what you enjoy and what you love at that point. Because do you honestly think that you're going to know every single time which Luka numbered rookie to pick? I mean, Sam, what's your feeling? That's not going to happen for you, right? You're not going to know which numbered rookie to pick out of all the sea of Lucas. So what I determined for myself, and I'm curious your opinion, and by the way, for those of you who don't know Sam, Sam is part of the Vintage Breaks team. You can find him breaking on our YouTube channel at youtube.com vintagebreaks. Do you think that's a reasonable assessment that unless you're gonna be able to buy that pinnacle, that Mona Lisa of Luca cards, try to pick out one numbered version versus another. I threw all that out the window. That's why I ended up buying that Luca Obsidian version because even though Chris is like, well, there's better and there's different. Sure, but I like it. And when you like something, you're not gonna lose in the end. Inevitably, if you like something, but you vetted it out because you've looked at the other basketball brands, for example, And you're like, you know what? I can't afford Giannis rookies right now, but I want to buy Giannis 19 and 20. You know, they just won the championship, so I want to try to get parallels. There's not going to be a right or a wrong answer. There's going to be what you love. And I think it's great feedback, Sam, um, from someone who's kind of like on the ground floor, right? kind of just getting into that collecting aspect of things, even though you're breaking. You know, collecting has become more important to you and you're becoming more passionate about it. And I could see it on your face as well as I'm describing to the community here. You know, I was making a note before today's show about a number of different things that I've collected and a couple of them we're going to show off today that mean a lot to me. Now, most of them have appreciated through the years, but they didn't always in the beginning. So for example, I was collecting, I've loved Michael Jordan for a long time. I was collecting early Michael Jordan, particularly rookie year Michael Jordan ticket stubs well before it was in fashion or before it was cool. And I remember people looking at me like, wait, you're nuts. You know, you're going to pay $38. Meanwhile, it's worth $380 now or a thousand bucks. You're not always right. But I knew that no matter what, I enjoyed the journey of that treasure hunt of trying to figure out, you know, things that I could acquire, right? Because at that point, Michael Jordan autograph rookies were beyond, you know, ridiculousness. And even though I had his rookie, you're kind of looking for that next item to collect. And so something else I was going to show off today I've been collecting autographed Hall of Fame rookies for some time. And right now, they're very hot in the marketplace. So I was fortunate. I got Joe Namath autographed, uh, or I got Joe Namath rookie cards done before he's charging $700 a piece just to sign the card now. That's not counting what it costs to buy the card. And by the way, folks, if you want to check out some of the items that I'm showing off from either my personal collection or from the Just Collect vault on a weekly basis here with Trading Card Therapy. You can either tune in live with us at 12.30 every Tuesday afternoon or check out Trading Card Therapy on Instagram and give us a follow. So that way you can check out uh, some of the cool things from my collection like these Joe Namath signed rookies and then may he rest in peace Bob Gibson. I had this long before uh, he passed away. Former baseball great and Harlem Globetrotter, for those of you that did not know. Not a high-grade rookie, but a well-centered rookie with good eye appeal and our Vintage Breaks community. I'm sure we'll appreciate that. Um, signed by Bob Gibson, Hall of Fame, 1981 is when he was inducted. And this one is slammed, slabbed by PSA uh, and graded on a scale of 1 to 10. The signature is graded a 9. But I didn't really you know get it for that, I actually, Got it in person years ago, and then just got a slab by PSA. So autographed rookies now, for example, are very, very hot in the marketplace. But I didn't start collecting them at that point. I just did it because I thought it would be really cool. And once again, a wonderful alternative for spending thousands of dollars on a high-grade Joe Namath rookie, which as much as I would love to enjoy, there was something cool about creating my own version of the, the Joe Namath rookie that I wanted, meaning a signed rookie. And now, of course, some high-grade sign rookies are bringing big dollars in auctions. So last thing I wanted to talk about in terms of you know items that I've been collecting for a while that have now become expensive is photography. Now, I don't have a photograph here that's particularly expensive, but I wanted to show it to you the trading card therapy community. I don't know how well it's going to sit here on the holder. It's fairly oversized. So I'll describe to everyone what it is. I recently purchased... Out of auction, the first ever Yankee World Series was in 1921. Babe Ruth joined them after the 1919 World Series. Excuse me, after the 1919 season. And I thought, you know, I've always uh, collected tickets. Not like my good buddy Darren Ravel has. Um, I've always thought there was a lot of opportunity uh, to collect tickets at an affordable price and own a piece of sports history in a different way. You know, feel connected especially if you've been in that game. Now, I certainly did not go to the 1921 World Series, nor did very many of our listeners to today's show. However, after uh, bidding in Robert Edwards' auction and successfully winning the ticket stub to the first ever Yankee World Series Game 1, 1921 World Series, I thought about what I was going to do with that ticket. Meaning, am I going to give it to Crosby? Am I going to put it in a drawer? Am I going to put it on a shelf? And I really thought about how do I, you know... Teach Crosby about something that I'm really, you know, passionate about, which is baseball history, certainly the Yankees, but then also being a little bit creative in the space of memorabilia, you know, which I love and and trying to buy things, if you will, as a good investment around the cheap. So that ticket I paid thousands of dollars for. I will have that in shortly from REA and I'll show that off here live on Trading Card Therapy or a Layton's Loft where you can find me every Wednesday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on the Vintage Breaks YouTube network. So believe it or not, I looked all over the internet for a photo from the first World Series, and I don't know why it did not strike me. I couldn't find it anywhere. I then looked at Old Reliable. I pulled up ebay.com. That's right, folks, eBay. And lo and behold, I'm going to try to show the caption here on camera. Unbelievable. October 5th, 1921. The Yankees beat the Giants in the first game of the World Series. This just this wasn't just any World Series, folks. This was the first World Series game for the New York Yankees franchise. The New York Yankees became the New York Yankees in 1913. They acquired Babe Ruth, as everyone knows, right after the 1919 season from Babe Ruth. It took them some time. They got the 1920 season under their belt. And they said, no more! We're going to the World Series in 1921. Folks, how cool is this? I was able to buy a photo from the very first World Series game that the Yankees ever played in. I'm going to pair it up with a ticket stub, which, by the way, if you go to the PSA Pop Report, there's literally like 11 in existence. So, I can't imagine there's that many combinations of taking... A ticket stub from the first ever World Series Yankee game. A photograph from game one of the first World Series game that the Yankees ever participated in. I'm hoping to be able to share with Crosby a little bit about how I put it together, what it means to me. Now, we'll see where that leads to. If he wants to put it in his room, if he just wants to check it out and then go you know, play with Pokemon cards afterwards, only time will tell. But nonetheless, as you can feel it listening to Trading Card Therapy today... I'm very passionate about what I do. I did not do that for money. I have no idea if I'll ever sell it Likely, we'll end up with Crosby. He'll decide what to do with it. But it's really cool to think about something that should be in the Smithsonian or whatever is your niche in terms of museums, right? The Met. You know, there's a lot of museums out there. Yes, Baseball Hall of Fame is in existence. And I'm sure that they would love to have the first World Series ticket to the Yankees' first ever game as the New York Yankees, because there's only a handful in existence. Maybe Crosby and I will discuss donating it maybe one day if we take a trip up there, and and you know because we've been up there before. But you know he doesn't necessarily appreciate it yet. So I just wanted to point out to today, even in increased prices, crazy world of vintage cards and modern cards now being super hot, anything is possible if you put your heart and your mind to it. And so I hope you enjoyed hearing that story about my acquisition of that 1921 Yankees ticket stub from Game 1 of the World Series. I'll be showing that off as soon as I get it in. I wanted to uh, cover one more topic today uh, on the show and seeing as how we were talking about um, auctions, we're going to be talking about auction discipline. But before we do, I wanted to show off A really cool wrapper. And you'll see how this ties into today's show. 1965 Topps Baseball Wrapper. Okay, really nice. You're going to be able to win this wrapper. Courtesy of Trading Card Therapy. All you have to do is follow us on Instagram. We just started our account. This is only our third episode ever of Trading Card Therapy. And the reason why we chose a 1965 Topps Wax Pack Wrapper is... We at Just Collect were fortunate recently to purchase an entire set of 1965 Topps baseball cards where every single card has been graded by PSA 8 or higher. So we were able to purchase that set and every card is graded PSA 8 or higher. You can read the full story about that acquisition on our blog at blog.justcollect.com. And we're always buying vintage PSA and SGC graded sets. Not only, of course, because we love vintage cards here at Just Collect, but because our sister company, Vintage Breaks, has a very strong following for the set breaks that we offer. And so, if you read about that set and you wonder where it ended up, well, it's currently listed on VintageBreaks.com as a set break. That's right. We're offering... 598 cards in the 1965 Tops baseball set break individually. And if you buy one spot, you'll get one card. If you buy three spots, you get three cards. We will break the set after all 598 cards have sold out. And we're able to do that because we do it in the unique fashion of offering it one card at a time through vintagebreaks.com. So if you'd like to win a fantastic display piece for your 1965 Tops collection. Just follow Vintage Breaks and Trading Card Therapy on Instagram, and we'll give away this 1965 Tops wrapper next week live on the show. So the last topic I wanted to cover today is auction discipline. One of our community members is asking me live during our stream today if I won anything from Love of the Game. I did. I won something from Love of the Game Auctions this past weekend. I won something from Heritage. And I won something in Golden Auctions. As you can imagine, that is a lot to keep track of. So how do I bid in all these auctions and not lose my mind and keep everything straight? Well, the number one way to do that is to stay disciplined. So even though I did bid a lot of dollars and I did bid in many auctions this past weekend, I in fact did not win that many items. And not because I didn't try, Because I was not comfortable where the prices were going. I did not see anything for myself personally that I, if you will, must have. And so when I was doing it in a professional capacity for either Just Collect or Vintage Breaks, I can tell you off the top of my head what we won. We spent a couple thousand bucks in golden auctions on one box. We won several boxes and I think one card out of Love of the Game auctions. And we won one card out of Heritage Auctions Sunday Night Auction. So... If I was not disciplined, I would have won a lot more. However, the one thing that I do know is there always is a lot more auctions in our hobby coming around the bend. And if you'd like to check out the auction schedule, because it can be overwhelming, check out my good buddy Ryan Friedman's website, auctionreport.com, for all of your auction dates, meaning when they're ending, when their consignment deadline is, and all of that good stuff in between having to do with auction uh, houses check out auctionreport.com. Hope you enjoyed today's show, episode three of Trading Card Therapy. If you'd like to have a particular question or something discussed on a future episode, please drop me a line, Layton at justcollect.com. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy your week in collecting.